Jason has spoken for us a couple of times. Um, as I'm hearing him today, I'm reminded that perhaps this should happen more often. Um, Jason, uh, by way of introduction, for those of you who don't know him, Jason uh, received his undergraduate degree at Morehouse College. He uh, won a Fulbright scholarship, earned his Master's of Divinity at Harvard Divinity. Uh, he earned a Master's of Business Administration at Bentley University. He um, has spent uh, most of his pro professional career uh, working with foundations uh, large, some of the largest foundations in the world, to help nonprofits be more successful at improving their communities. Jason plays a critical role with very significant nonprofits, uh, uh, funding them and, tr and helping train them uh, to be successful at fulfilling their missions. He presently is a program officer for the Ford Foundation, one of the three largest foundations in the world. Um, he and Aisha have two beautiful little girls, aged three and five, who are very active in our K-Port children's ministry, and sat and listened to their dad preach in the first service uh, and uh, took notes on uh, the life notes, which you can do as well. To be frank, I've made a couple runs at Jason to try to get him to join our team full-time on our pastoral staff, and I don't want to put any pressure on him in front of all of you, but if you'd send him emails to that effect, I'd appreciate it. Please give Jason Garrett a great big welcome, one of our own. No pressure at all. <laughs> Good morning and welcome. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Let us, let us pray. Let us pray. God, we come before you saying thank you for this time. Open up our hearts that we may receive you in. Open up our minds that we may see you more clearly. Open up our ears that we may hear you. We pray, oh God, that you will move on us and move in us. That we may hear you and that we may be moved by you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you, Pastor Terry, for the warm welcome and um, for being a Pastor Terry. And in fact, TLCC has changed my life in many different ways, which I couldn't expound on now. Um, and I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And um, I'm reminded as I stand before you of a speaker who, um, really smart guy and got up and tried to teach everything that he knew and three hours later, he was successful. Um, good thing for you, I don't know as much as that person, so I won't be before you three hours. But I, I would like to jump right in. Um, we find ourselves at this point after Christmas, after the celebration of a Savior who has entered into the world, and right before the new year, a time that is colored with the hope of a new day, as well as with the problems of the present and the pain of the past. We find ourselves in this moment, a moment that is not too different than when Jesus came into the world. Jesus broke into the world at a time, not in the brightness of the day, but in the darkness of the night. Not in the plushness of a palace, but in the dinginess of a room. Jesus entered into a broken world, 
a world that was so broken that the king at that time, King Herod, as we see in Matthew 2, he was so afraid of this one that they call king of the Jews that he ordered that all the boys in a Palestinian area, two years and under, that they be killed. Jesus entered into a broken world with people, mothers, and families feeling the pain of death. I could imagine a Jewish family at that time thinking about and wondering, how do you receive the light that has come into this world when the pain hasn't left. I could imagine it. And in some ways, the answer to that question is complex, and in other ways, it's pretty simple. We see um, this scripture in John, in, a, in John 1, verses 1 through 5. We see that it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jumping down to verse 4, it says, in him was life, in Jesus. In him was life. It was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The darkness did not overcome it. It, it, it seems like the answer is pretty simple. We have Jesus, the light of our lives, in our life, and it will help with the darkness. And that is the good news. It, the darkness will not overcome us. I could stop right now. That, that could be the message. We could go home. I could pe preach a record sermon that Pastor Terry will never be able to top. <laughs> About three minutes. Um, but the clock says I have more time, so I'm going to keep on. We, we see that um, the, the other thing that we see inside of this, just two points to note before we, we dive deeper, is that the scripture talks about light and darkness. It doesn't say that darkness left, darkness departed. It said that the darkness will not overcome. Now, for our scientifically minded folks, this is somewhat of an oddity. I mean, the very nature of darkness is the absence of light. The very presence of light signifies the absence of darkness. Scientifically, it, it, it doesn't make sense, but spiritually it does. Because when Jesus comes back is when the darkness will, will disappear. But for now, we have to live in this world, this broken world, where we have light and darkness. The other thing I want to point out is that, well, what do we mean by light? What do we mean by darkness? I think um, Ephesians 5, 8 through 9 really speaks to, to this question. It says, for once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. The fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. That's a beautiful depiction of the light. So darkness must mean that those things that come against all that is good and right and true, the things that take, serve to weigh us down, to keep us from where God wants us to go, to keep us from the light. So we know that there will be darkness and light, and we see what it is. And so perhaps the central question that I pose to you today is, how do we let our light shine and not be overcome by the darkness? How do we let our light shine and not be overcome by the darkness? I would offer you three things to consider as we think about that question. One is that we, can, we ought to deal with the darkness. The second thing I would offer you is that we are to let our beauty shine. And the third is that 
we ought to embrace the gift of belonging. So to deal with our darkness, to deal with our darkness, we, we have to be real. There's something about light that's revelatory, meaning that it shows you what was hidden. Jesus was, was not in this world. Jesus' entry into this world was a revelation, an unveiling of what, of the truth. In a similar way, light in general, is, it, it helps us to see what we couldn't see in the dark. It is revelatory. If, for example, um, have, you, have you ever gotten ready to go somewhere and gotten, gotten in the shower and gotten dressed and you're ready to go? All right, so let me, let me, I wasn't trying to put anybody on the spot. I didn't ask if you had a shower today. Just generally, have you ever kind of gotten ready, gotten in the shower? Okay, you get my point. Um, and, and then you go and you're ready and you're ready to go. And then you go outside and, and at least for me, I've looked down and, man, I saw a stain on my shirt. Now you have a choice to make. You can keep going where you are going. No shame in my game. I've done it sometimes. Or you can make a, make a decision to remove the stain. We have a similar choice in life. That we can make a choice to be real and see what really is going on in our lives. And to make that choice to do the work to remove the stain. Because how many people know the stain is much easier to get out in the beginning than several weeks, several months, several years later. There's something about taking action and doing the work to remove the stains in our life that seep into the fabric of our lives and become embedded in them. That's one thing. We have to be real to, to deal with the darkness because light is revelatory. We have an example in the prophet Micah in 7, 8 through 9. The scripture says, enemy, don't laugh at me. I have fallen. But I will get up again. I sit in the shadow of trouble now, but the Lord will be a light for me. I sinned against the Lord, so he was angry with me, but he will defend my case in court. He will bring about what is right for me. Then he will bring me out into the light, and I will see him set things right. What an extraordinary example of someone being real, not denying where they are, but also having faith in where they're going and the God that can bring them there. And when I, say, when I say the darkness, the stains, the different things, it's not just things that we've, we've done. It's things that have been done to us. How many people know it's hard to move on for many people because of the trauma that was inflicted on them in the past in their lives? But to be, to be able to overcome the darkness, we have to be real. To be able to deal with the darkness, we have to be real about the darkness. To be able to deal with the darkness, we have to be real about the darkness. Not only do we have to be real about it, but also we have to fight. The um, Reverend Dr. Carter, in his book, The Empowered Life, he shares this story about a man who's watching this butterfly or caterpillar in a cocoon. And he's watching it grow, and he's watching the, the, the butterfly grow inside of the cocoon. And it's one week has passed by, and another day, and another day. And then he sees the, 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 a hole come out of the cocoon. And he sees the butterfly working and moving, working and moving, fighting and fighting. And then it stops. And he watches for an hour, another hour. 
And so he decides, I'm going to help this butterfly. He gets the scissors. He goes over. He cuts open the cocoon. And out comes the butterfly. But automatically, he sees something is wrong. The, the wings are shriveled up. The legs are not moving right. The body is swollen. Because what that guy didn't know is that even though that butterfly was in that constricted dark space, even though it was fighting to get out, it needed that fight to be able to move the fluids in its swollen body out to its wings, into its legs, to be able to move so that it can go and it can fly and it can do what God had intended for it to do. The cocoons in life can condition us for the fights in life. The cocoons in life can condition us for the fights in life. We may feel constricted. We may feel like darkness is on every side. But as we work through the pain, as we work through the disappointments, as we work through the delays, as we work through the trauma of death, as we do the work to move in that darkness, there's a God who we may not be able to see, but whose light can penetrate the deepest of depths, the darkest of valleys, to move, to help us break through those cocoons into the light. We not only have to be real about the darkness, we not only have to fight through the darkness, but at times we have to wait. Because how many people know fighting can be tiring? It can drain you. Always having to work and fight and work and fight and work and fight and seems like it never ends. The prophet Isaiah in, in this scripture, he's, he's speaking to a community that knew something about working and fighting. It's a, pro, it's a word of consolation to a community that had been in exile, that had been uh, isolated from their home and from all that they knew. Isaiah 40, 31 says, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Hmm. Isaiah here in the text is speaking to people who are, are trying to get to their homeland, who are trying to get to the light, and the recipe that he gives them is to wait. Now, um, I, I know you might be wondering, well, Jason, what are you saying? Before you said fight, now you say wait, make up your mind. But the reality is um, waiting can renew your strength and the stillness can tune you to the ear of God. And so I don't know how to tell you when to do what, but I, I think about a metaphor. I think about a boxer. Most of us are familiar with the sport. The boxer goes into the rink and they're moving around and getting ready. I've, as a side note, I've never boxed in my life, so I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm just what I see on TV. I probably get knocked out in the first round. But you get my gist. The, the boxer is moving and fighting and moving and fighting. And then the bell rings. And the boxer goes into the corner and waits. And then the bell rings again. And the boxer goes and he's moving and fighting and moving and fighting. And then the bell rings and he goes and waits. I'm telling you, I don't know how long your darkness will last. I don't know what, whether right now this is a time when you should fight or when you should wait. 
But I do know that we can listen to the bells that God puts in our lives. We can listen to the word that God has put into our lives. We can listen to, to the people that God has put in our lives. We can listen to our wives and our parents that God has put in our lives. We can listen to the bells that help us to discern when we need to fight and when we need to wait. Because we know we fight knowing that the battle is not ours. It's the Lord's. We wait knowing that we're not waiting on the stock market or anything else. We are waiting on God until we can work and fight and wait and fight and wait until we can break through the darkness. We not only have to deal with the darkness, but to help let our light shine and overcome the darkness and not be overcome by the darkness, we can let our beauty shine. Now, why I would say it is important to deal with the darkness, we ought not dwell in the darkness. We ought not dwell in the darkness because for some of us, we can get so bogged down in everything that we not, in everything that is not, that it's so hard to move forward. We ought not to dwell in the darkness. And so, the other thing, the thing about light, we said, we've established that it's revelatory. Well, light is revelatory, yes, and it shows some of our imperfections and the things we couldn't see in the dark, but it shows something else. It also shows our beauty. It also reveals our beauty. We, the team is shortly is going to bring up a, a photo here, and I want you to take a look, and then I want you to think about the first word that comes to your mind, just first word. As the team puts the pitch up, just think about the first word that, that comes to your mind. I would invite you, um, I won't be able to hear you in Paramus and here, but I want your neighbors to hear you. Just shout out the first word that came to your mind. Go ahead. All right. So we heard some different words, right? And different people see different things. When I saw this, this tile was sitting in a heap of rubbish. And I looked at it and I picked it up. It was a moment in my life where I was reflecting about what God was doing and, and, and really a lot of things were stirring inside of me. And I looked at it and what I saw automatically that came to my mind was you can be broken and beautiful at the same time. You can be broken and beautiful at the same time. A wave of relief just came over me. Oh my and then as God would have it, a friend sent a text with a scripture in it. And that scripture was 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It said, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for my power. Someone say power. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sakes, I delight in weaknesses, in insults in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. Amen. We, we, we see that um, this word in the Greek, this word power that we see that, that Paul is talking about here, this word in the Greek means, is a Greek word, dunamai, it means power. It's the root where we get our dynamite from. And so this, that tile, I keep that with me every, every day because it is a reminder 
to me of the dynamite that is inside of me. It is a reminder to me that Jesus bore our sins on a cross that we may not carry the weight around us. It is a reminder to me that, yes, there may be some brokenness in my life. There may be some brokenness in my family. There may be some brokenness in my community, but my beauty is better than my brokenness. It is a reminder to me that God's grace is sufficient. It reminds me. And, and so as, as I think about this scripture and um, I think about this, this notion of elevating the beauty, I, th I would invite you and I would encourage you that um, we spend more time on our beauty than on our brokenness. That we spend more time on our beauty than on our brokenness. Uh, it will probably be worth just taking an aside to name the fact that um, as you do this, as you seek to elevate your beauty, there will be some people who still want to focus on your brokenness. There's a rapper who said, um, some people recognize the light, but they can't handle the glare. Some people recognize the light, but they can't handle the glare. Your glare is revelatory. That means that it will be a light into some people's lives, which means that for some people, it will reveal some of the imperfections. It will reveal some of the things that they don't want to see. And that doesn't make them comfortable. So they will try to dim your light because they haven't dealt with their darkness. But I want to tell you, don't, don't stop your shine. Don't stop your shine because the fact is light is revelatory. And so your light will also put light into the lives of someone else that will see you and be encouraged by you, that will see you and your light will light up their dreams. Your light will light up their goals. Your light will be encouragement to show them that the light of God can move in them for them to do things that they could never imagine or conceive. So don't stop your shine. As we elevate our beauty, we also have to, it brings me this point about shine and brings me to my other point, which is around, um, it's not only enough to recognize that, look at our beauty and not our brokenness, but we have to let it shine. The scripture in Matthew 5, 14 speaks to this. It says, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand, it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. It's important to know in this context in a Palestinian home at that time, a Palestinian home that is usually a one-room structure. There was no electricity. So you have a light, a lamp. You have to light that lamp and you will put it on a lampstand so the light could disperse throughout the house. The only reason that you would take a bushel basket or, or let's just say a bowl and put it over the light is to, uh, over the lamp is to extinguish the light. How many people know that sometimes for whatever reason, for trauma, for different things, we have had a bowl put over our light, a bowl put over our dreams, a bowl put over our hopes. And so it makes us reluctant to go to school again, to start the business again, to enter into a relationship again. To, it, it makes us reluctant to take that step because a bowl, for whatever reason, has been put over our life. 
But the, what I see in the scripture is this commandment that to let your light shine, it, 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 it implies that action needs to be taken. Action needs to be taken in order for that to happen. So we have to give ourselves permission to shine. We have to create pathways to shine because it, it not, it's not implying that it will happen automatically. And so um, I'm, I'm also reminded as I think about this element of shining, a quote by Frederick Douglass that said, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. It is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. That, that we can help not just ourselves, but in communities, take the bowls off of children, take the bowls off of adults, that we might be able to shine so that brokenness is not the prevalent and, and, and powerful condition in our lives. And then to let our light shine and to not be overcome by the darkness, we have to deal with our darkness. We have to let our beauty shine, but also I would encourage us to embrace, embrace the gift of belonging. We see in Ephesians chapter 2, 18 through 19, something that um, speak to, speaks to this point. It says, for through him, for through Christ, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God members of the household of God. I want to focus on two points there, members and household. Members, this word member comes from the Latin root of a word that means a member, a limb, a body part. This notion is prevalent in the Bible, that particularly in the Pauline letters around Christianity, the Christian community being, being one body, connected. It's an ind indication to me that we don't have to do this Life, we don't have to walk this life alone. That, that, that we ought to be connected to some others that can give us light. Pastor Terry, in, in this notion of a household, talks about the home and a, a, a place where our hearts can be warm. This gift of belonging, this element that God brings us into, for the Jewish folks at that time, there no longer had to be the legalistic restrictions. For the Gentiles, they no longer were on the periphery of God's blessings, but they had open access. It was an open access health plan. It was an open access peace plan. It was an open access love plan. It was an open access plan that all could come to and be welcome and feel like they belong and be a part of something greater, to be a part of a body. That is a gift, and God welcomes us in to that, to help us, to help the light, to have the light from others, to shine into our lives, to help see our beauty, to help deal with our darkness, that we don't have to do it alone. We, um, it, it, it is the fact that membership in Christ will help you magnify your light. Membership in Christ will help you magnify your light. And like we established earlier, this, this journey gets tiring. Not only do we get tired, not only is it hard, but sometimes our light goes out. And the fact of the matter is that there, there can be others who help to, to, to light up our lights. This poem by an author who um, I appreciate in this book, The Art of Gathering, she, she shared a poem that... Um, that really speaks to this point. 
It says, I met a stranger in the night whose lamp had ceased to shine. I paused and let him light his lamp from mine. A tempest sprang up later on and shook the world about. And when the wind was gone, my lamp was out. But back came to me the stranger. His lamp was glowing fine. He held the precious flame and lighted mine. The reality is our flame, our light may go out sometimes. And so we have to position ourselves around others who also have a light. We have to position ourselves around others who can speak life into the darkness of our lives. We have to. And so it's that element of belonging. But as I was preparing this, I thought, well, we belong. We can belong into this open access plan. We can come to Christ. We can have this, the, what God set out in the Bible, this church, this body of believers that can help us in this journey of letting our light shine. But what about the people who are not a part of this body? How do they belong? What does belonging mean for them? How, how can they embrace that gift? Or what, what is our role with them? And I, I look to the scripture. And I look to this passage in John chapter 8. And um, just to give you a little context, I won't read the full scripture, but the quick story is that these Pharisees bring a woman who committed adultery. And they're before Jesus... And the custom of that time, the, the law of Moses indicated that that woman should be stoned. Now, Jesus is writing on the ground. We don't know what he wrote. And, and they're going, and he says to them, ultimately, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, they begin to leave. And he gets to this point we have here in the text. He says, or it says, Jesus straightened up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. Oh, how beautiful. What a wonderful act of belonging, of saying to this woman, you may not be my disciple. You may not be coming in to this community, but I care about your well-being. I care about your life. I care about who you are. It reminds me of something this professor John Powell said. He talked about this. Um, circle of human concern. And for me, I understand that as even beyond whatever membership, whatever religion, whatever company, whatever uh, group and community you're in, there's something bigger. There's this circle of human concern where we ought to care about the well-being of others. And so I see, I see inside uh, of this scripture, Jesus showing us a model for how we even engage others beyond this community. And she didn't, I would have to believe that she didn't maybe join any group right then, but I would have to believe that if she saw Jesus again, she would know that, that she could go to Jesus and, and to be helped with her darkness. She could go to Jesus to be, have her light and her beauty elevated. She could go to Jesus because there was a light on in Jesus. There, um, as I think about this, I think about when I was trick-or-treating with my daughters, three and five, this past Halloween, uh, and we're going, and we're going, and um, their first time, they're really kind of getting it, and so we're going around, and we go up, and my daughter says, Daddy, Daddy, let's go to that house. I said, no, no, we can't go there. She says, why not? I said, 
I said, because the light is not on. And then we go and we're walking, we're walking. I say, okay, look, let's go to that house. And she says, well, how do you know they have candy? I said, well, because the light is on. The light is on. We know they have candy because the light is on. We know that they want to bestow some goodness on us because the light is on. We know that they want to welcome us in because the light is on. But I didn't say those last couple of lines to my daughter because she's five and she would have been like, Daddy, um, I don't know what you're talking about. I just want some candy. Uh, but, but you get my point. The light was on. And as I think about uh, how do people know on our job that even when they mess up, that they can come to someone who won't just focus on their brokenness, but would elevate their beauty? They would know because the light is on. How do children who, who mess up in life, they can go, they can go, and they can go to their parents and not be scared about what's going to happen because the light is on. How can we go inside of our communities and people want to have a voice in the community, a voice into what's happening, but the, the school is saying to the community to the parents, come on because the light is on. The politicians are saying, come on because the light is on. The businesses are saying, come on because the light is on. The, how does a parent with an atypical child who has certain needs can come to a church? How do they know that their child can belong in a church like this? Well, when you have a room that meets their sensory needs, that was designed for them, it is saying to those parents, the light is on. You belong here. I don't know if um, people in that broader circle of human concern will come into the community, but at least they will know the light is on. As I come to a close, uh, and the team brings back the photo that I showed you um, earlier. Before I asked, I asked you, what do you see? And now for here, as we go forward into the new year, I invite you to ask the question now, what do you see in your family members? What do you see in your friends? What do you see in your colleagues? Most importantly, what do you see in yourself? Is it brokenness? Is it beauty? Is it darkness? Is it light? The fact of the matter is until Jesus comes, there will be both that will be present in our lives. There will be both. But we know that as the light shines, it will not be overcome by the darkness. And so we can focus more on our beauty than our brokenness. We can deal with the darkness in our lives, but focus more on the beauty. We can be in a place where we belong. So we don't have to walk this journey alone. As we go into the new year, know that God has put power, God has put dynamite in you that it's ready to shine brighter than you could ever conceive or imagine. But we have to, as the commandment said, let your light shine. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Amen.